It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Our approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, one of the most striking things about what's going on uh, here in the UK is what it's done to the economy. The economy is, well, let's face it, in a mess during this crisis. The Chancellor of the Exchequer, no less, has told us that. Rishi Sunak said the country faces a recession that's unprecedented in scale. And he says it's not obvious there's going to be an immediate bounce back from the lockdown that's had a significant impact, of course, on the UK economy. But if you want an indicator of quite how much has changed, listen to this. For the first time today, the UK has sold bonds with a negative yield. Minus that's that's three point seven five billion pounds of guilt at minus zero point zero zero three percent, and at the same time, schools and businesses are expressing some concern about the government's lockdown being eased. Yeah, so investors now paying for the privilege of lending their money to the British government, but councils, teaching unions urging ministers to reconsider plans to reopen primary schools to some pupils from June the 1st, saying reopening is neither appropriate nor practicable at this time. Justice Secretary Robert Buckland's been around this morning. He says the government's contact tracing programme will alleviate issues like that, but can't yet give a timeout timeline for its rollout. From what I'm seeing, the progress is really encouraging. Uh, we can't let up on this. This is urgent and important work. Uh, and from everything that I've seen, uh, I'm confident that uh, we will get this up and running very, very soon. And at the same time, we've had some research from the British Chambers of Commerce. They say only four in 10 UK businesses are able to fully restart under government guidelines for the lockdown easing. Uh, that is crucial services in the industry is being particularly challenged. Lots of companies that have to do social distancing and therefore can't get going in the same way as others. Well, let's have a look at what's going on in terms of the whole of the UK and the extent to which it is well, taking different paths because the devolved administrations are all possibly on different ways of dealing with this. Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland in many cases have adopted a more cautious approach to dealing with the virus with different regulations. And that shows rather dramatically the borders that now exist within the UK. Well, joining us now is Delith Jewell, who's applied Cymru member of the Senedd, the Welsh Parliament for South Wales East Region. Delith, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Um, let me ask you then first... Uh, how far has any reopening from the lockdown really begun in Wales? 
Well, as I'm sure your listeners will be aware, since the late 90s, we've had our own governments in different parts of the UK. And in Wales, we have been taking a different approach from England. Uh, We're in England. Uh, Boris Johnson's government has been really mishandling the crisis and has been prioritising restarting the economy. We in Wales have been more cautious, partly because the peak uh, has not reached all parts of our country yet. So whereas England decided to do away with the stay-at-home messaging a few weeks ago, we in Wales and also Scotland and Northern Ireland, we've kept the stay-at-home message in order to protect the public. So we've got the interesting position now where England is actually the outlier, even though a lot of the UK government ministers would not want us to uh, to think of it in that way. But Boris Johnson has actually, in some ways in the past few weeks, become the Prime Minister of England only. So what can people in Wales do at the moment? So at the moment, we have reopened garden centres, for example. People can uh, go exercising more than once a day, but largely people are still being encouraged very much to stay home to protect the NHS, to save lives. Uh, And so people, for example, are not uh, able to go driving in order to find somewhere to exercise very far away from their homes. Uh, we are having problems, of course, with people because of the uh, the restrictions being different on different sides of the border. People coming into Wales uh, to visit some of the beautiful uh, tourist areas that we have, and they are then facing fines because uh, the message isn't being communicated particularly well uh, to people in England that the rules are still different in Wales. But, Delith, isn't there a big issue in this? Because if this goes goes on further, you'll have the UK, the English economy, uh, let's say, opening at a different rate. You'll have ed- schools in England opening before those in Wales. And that could, that could really widen the gap economically and educationally between Wales and England. Well, I mean, it is very normal in different parts of Europe, for example, for there to be localised or regional lockdown easing. I know this has happened in Italy, for example. So, I mean, I think that we obviously need to be very alive to the risks to the economy, but we have to be prioritising protecting people's lives. And as I've said, parts of North Wales, for example, are only now having the peak uh, of the virus. So I think that it would be incredibly uh, misjudged uh, of the UK government to decide to prioritise the English economy uh, at the expense of potentially uh, the, the public health of people in Wales. So I would say that is an argument to be made to uh, the UK Chancellor uh, instead. Is it not worth opening schools in some parts of Wales where it's been shown that the R rate is lower or that the rate of infection is lower, given that all the evidence we're seeing from Europe where schools are reopening is that they aren't really hot spots for spreading? And what you get is the risk, not just that the education gap widens between England and Wales, but also within Wales, there are going to be uh, better and worse off students. And, and you could see that gap widen as well. But what I would want to see is for us to get back to being able to uh, prioritise the resources that are available for children. Obviously, the lockdown is incredibly difficult for many groups of people, including children who are in school uh, and whose lives are being really disrupted by this. There are lots of ways in which I would like to see there to be more variation within different parts of Wales, because as, as you've referred to, the R number is different not just with it between Wales and England, but also in different parts of the two nations. 
but again, I think that we need to just make sure that whatever steps we take and are prioritizing public health, uh, that they're not just uh, being made and planned to prioritize where the parts of the UK are that have got over the peak uh, most quickly. And of course, uh, as people in our health boards are reminding us all the time, it will not take very much at all for us to be back in a situation where our intensive care units could be overwhelmed. Well, let's pick up on on that. if I may, because we've been talking here essentially about passive members, about pa- passive measures, things not being opened uh, and care being taken. But what are the active measures? What about testing and tracing? Is that going on in Wales? Well, it's interesting. There, uh, there, it is absolutely going on in Wales. And I can really believe that in order for us to get out of this lockdown, the only way for us to really be able to do that fully is to have a comprehensive testing and tracking and tracing system in place. It's not happening as quickly as we would like it to have happened. But uh, what some of your uh, your listeners might find interesting is that uh, I've said that there have been kind of divides between Wales and England that have been exposed during this crisis. There is a company called Roche, who, um, again, your listeners will have heard of because they're developing an antibody test at the moment. Well, there were tests that were made available uh, that the Welsh government had, uh, well, that there was an agreement, apparently there was a written agreement for them to have 5,000 tests a day from Roche. And the UK government somehow gazumped that deal and took the tests instead. So the Welsh government was left with 900 tests a day. I mean, I'm not a a member of the Welsh government party. I'm an opposition party. So, I mean, I I think that there's faults on the two sides of that. But it is an extraordinary situation where you have one government able to just gazump another government and take tests away that had been earmarked for Wales. So, but, but, but I mean, since then, it, it's been pretty shambolically handled by the Welsh government, I have to say. We were meant to have 5,000 tests a day, which was the target in mid-April. And then by the end of April, we were meant to have 8,000 tests a day. And then every single time uh, when this, this target was not being met, the target was eased down until a few weeks ago. The health secretary in Wales just said, we're not going to have a target anymore. <laughs> it's as though because we weren't able to meet uh, the targets they set themselves, they decided instead of working harder to make sure that we got that target, they would just pretend that the target didn't exist. Uh, and what about the app that the UK, many of whom seeing as key to the track and trace program to getting on top of the virus, it's been shown in its stages currently to have uh, security issues. Are you happy for an app like this to be rolled out in Wales? Well, apparently the Welsh Government are now uh, happier with the fact that some of the security issues are um, being addressed. Uh, obviously, uh, the fact that I was very concerned at the start because Dominic Cummings uh, had been uh, possibly involved with uh, how this app was being developed. But again, we without a comprehensive system in place, which is taking the form of this app, we're not going to be able to get out of lockdown. So obviously, we're going to need to make sure that people's safety is protected, but public health has to be the priority here. Uh, and there's already uh, a system that's being a local system, which is being trialled in Kerasikian in Wales, which is working very effectively. So I think that, again, so long as we allow for localised variations in the way in which we are able to go back into lockdown, if there are flare-ups in certain areas, then I think that that will be a really welcome thing. But we need to be able to know where the cases are 
And if, if an app is the best way to do that, then we absolutely need to follow that. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Roger, where are we starting? Well, we're starting with Brexit. Come on, you remember that. Surely delve into your psyche and find that wound that we sort of hope to forget, I suppose. But what's happened is that talks have rather soured after the UK's chief negotiator accused the EU of only offering a low-quality deal. David Frost said the bloc was treating Britain as unworthy of a fair trade agreement. On the other side, Brussels chief negotiator Michel Barnier said Britain wants to keep the benefits of being a member state without the obligations. And then we talked about the app briefly a moment ago. Uh, the Cybersecurity Centre confirming that its track and trace app contains flaws that could leave it vulnerable to attack. Surprise, surprise. The app, vital to helping getting Britain out of lockdown, is currently being trialled on the Isle of Wight. Listen back to our interview with MP Bob Seeley about that. Uh, it was supposed to be live nationally from the middle of May. It's now said to be quote, weeks away, Ian Levy, technical director at the National Cybersecurity Centre, said the flaws are the result of a conscious decision to get a trial version up and running quickly and has fixed the app before it's released more widely. They will no doubt raise some concerns. Meanwhile, what about those MPs in the House? Well, the Times is reporting that MPs may be separated by plastic screens under government plans to get more Conservatives sitting behind Boris Johnson in the Commons chamber. Jacob Rees-Mogg, the House of Commons leader, wants to install the screens similar to those seen in shops to help overcome social distancing rules. Now, some senior Tories believe that Mr Johnson has rather struggled at PMQs against Labour's Keir Starmer because the benches behind him have been all but empty. He plays well with an audience, you see. Certainly makes a change from Theresa May versus Jeremy Corbyn, doesn't it? A little bit of excitement on the front benches every Wednesday. Anyway, while life in Europe takes its steps towards normality, its first little baby steps at least, things are looking pretty samey here in the UK. Britain's maybe pouring into parks and hitting the roads, but 46% of them say that the recent limited changes to the lockdown rules have gone too far. It marks a growing sense that the public supports saving lives over getting the economy going again, which could turn into a big problem for a certain Boris Johnson. Well, joining us now is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Therese Raphael. Therese, you've been writing about this this week. Why don't Brits want to come out of lockdown? Is it a case that we talked about pouring into parks, hitting the roads? They're doing it. They just don't want other people to do it. Is it fear? What's going on? Well, you wouldn't know it from just walking around the streets of London, would you? I mean, there are people pretty much everywhere. The parks are full. But what, um, you know, that that's sort of deceptive because when you ask people about lockdown, there is a real resistance among a lot of people uh, for lifting some of the lockdown restrictions, returning to work. There's been a huge row over schools opening uh, with both unions and parents and teachers, you know, all saying, you know, how, how are we moving too soon? Is this really safe? And, you know, it is curious when you look at some of the, you know, the rest of Europe, when you look at parts of the U.S., where there is just a huge push to return to normal. 
And um, it's you know it's interesting to try to to try to unpack what's going on here. And you know, one element of it is clearly, uh, uh, you know, Britain's been hit very hard uh, by this virus. The death toll, uh, you know, is over thirty-five thousand. I, I think we are at the moment, and you know that is a. Uh, it's a, there's a constant reminder every day on the news, on the, uh, particularly on the TV news, which which is watched, um, you know, by by millions. Uh, and you know, every time that say an NHS worker um, dies, and that that is uh, that is featured on the news, you know, you can amplify the effect of uh, the virus's impact many many times. But I don't think that is all of what's happening here because you know there is uh there's an element of not quite trusting how the government is managing this you know they there was there was a, a real slowness in this country to move into lockdown to embrace testing contract tracing and then there was almost a panic rush into lockdown and the message was extremely successful uh you know protect the NHS, save lives, you know, that was something that really resonated with people and, you know, indeed harks back to, um, uh, you know, to, to a value that, that Britons share, you know, whatever their sort of political um, political views are. And I think the real problem with for, for Boris Johnson is trying to figure out how to um, back out of that uh, yeah. when, when indeed it's safe enough. Well, exactly. I mean, that, that's that's the problem in a way, because it will break down at that point, potentially, not least because a lot of people are quite scared, obviously, about coming out of, of lockdown. But also there are people who, who are undermined financially in ways that makes them really want to come out. So, I mean, are we going to start seeing a real splits develop in the in, in the UK public? Yeah, we already are, aren't we, with conservatives, uh, many conservatives now saying that uh, that the lockdown is, is in danger of going too far, uh, even suggesting that the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak's generous furlough policy and other programs are um, you know, suppressing a, a what, what should be a kind of natural desire to get things going again and um, you know, maybe acting as a sort of disincentive. Um, so you know, there is some of that, but you know, again, other European countries have very generous social welfare policies. Spain is now uh, launching a basic income policy. So I don't think that fully explains what we're seeing in Britain and also the solidarity, the intergenerational solidarity. So you know, this was a country where many uh, older people voted for Brexit. They're not all, but it, it, age was a pretty good predictor of where one fell in the Brexit debate. And, uh, and you know, older people are more impacted by COVID. And yet you have uh, across age groups, uh, many people reluctant to get back to work. So even younger people saying, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we should wait a little bit, have a longer lockdown, phase in things a bit more slowly. So for Johnson, it's rebuilding confidence in uh, in in a return to normality, and that's going to depend hugely on whether his uh, policy to ramp up testing and roll out this contact tracing program and app is going to be successful. And I don't see how he's going to build that confidence if, if either of those two things fails. Um, and indeed, if the uh, R, R number, the transmission rate, and uh, the death number doesn't keep coming down quite dramatically. And then another head 
ache for the Prime Minister, Therese, is Brexit, where we're soon reaching the moment where some decision has to be made over extending the talks. The UK publishing this week a draft of the EU trade deal that it would like in an ideal world, and it's only really showing the rift between where the UK stands and where Brussels stands. Yeah, they are miles apart now, and we're coming up pretty soon to the June deadline where there is a summit to take stock of where things stand. And that is the the last point at which Boris Johnson could request an extension to the transition period. So he he could request an extension of one year, he could request an extension of two years, but it's a one-off chance to do that. Uh, the government's been very categorical that it doesn't want an extension. Uh, but, you know, there are two interesting wrinkles here that lead me to think that perhaps, you know, something might happen later in this year. And one is that public opinion uh, is in favor of an extension. And, you know, if that continues uh, and continues to grow, then, you know, he runs a risk that if he doesn't request an extension and the British economy is further hit by trade frictions that come up from uh, at the end of the year when companies cannot trade freely with the single market, then you know, th- there is a, a, a lot of blame that will be put at the door of number 10 Downing Street. Um, so, you know, that, that, that's one, um, you know, that's one big risk. And, and, you know, he could also run into more opposition from the late party, which has been quite quiet on this front. Uh, I think Keir Starmer, Labour leader, uh, will start pushing more for an extension and say, look, Brexit is done. You've won that argument. We are leaving. We have left the EU and we will leave the single market. But why not? Uh, give businesses the reprieve. And we are now hearing Bloomberg News had a a story on um, Monday about how businesses who have have furloughed employees simply don't have the capacity to prepare for the changes that are going to happen when when the new customs rules, the new new, uh, trade frictions that come into place after Britain leaves the single market uh, actually kick into gear. So how do they uh, prepare for customs procedures, for new rules of origin procedures, for all the kinds of checks uh, that are going to um, take place as goods move and services move between borders. So Boris Johnson has two problems when uh, in, in insisting that Britain doesn't need a Brexit extension. One is that public opinion is moving against them, and the second is that companies, uh, particularly if they're facing a crunch with uh, with COVID furloughing workers are just not going to be ready. Um, And it's going to be much harder for him to argue that Britain doesn't need an extension to the transition given the economic problems that, uh, that the country's facing. Well, let me pick up with you on problems for Boris Johnson, because one of the most interesting ones at the moment is how he hasn't really performed as well as people expected at Prime Minister's questions, and that uh, up against Keir Starmer, it's not so great. And now we have this suggestion uh, from uh, from Rhys Mogg, the leader of the House of Commons, that perhaps yeah, they should have uh, more Tories in, but protected by plastic uh, coverings around them. Do you think that's a runner? <laughs> um, I, I think if you'll excuse the pun, it's a very transparent ploy from uh, uh, from Reese Mogg to try to get more MPs in in the Commons behind Boris Johnson, making a lot of noise because it, it has been a very interesting matchup between uh, him and Keir Starmer. And Starmer, of course, very experienced uh, lawyer QC who is able to uh, really probe forensically on the failings of the government in in the COVID crisis and and you know, some of the. 
some of the questions that he's put to Boris Johnson are quite predictable, but the prime minister hasn't had, a, you know, hasn't had great replies. He's slowly being uh, criticized also in the conservative press over it. So it's not really that much of a surprise that, uh, that the cabinet would like to get more Tories uh, back in the Commons because it really does change the atmosphere. And it's hard for the party itself to coalesce, to show support for the prime minister when, you know, you only have um, you know, a few dozen MPs over Zoom, for example. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.